I want to start in the book of Joshua. It's probably a verse you've heard before. Maybe uh, it's your first time here or first time in a long time. You've probably heard this somewhere. It, it says this in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15. It says, and choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the title of today's message. It's our family, our responsibility. Our family, our responsibility. Come on, turn to your second option, the one you didn't turn to first, and say it with your chest for me. Our family, our responsibility. I don't know about you, but I had a pretty large family growing up. I had uh, aunts and uncles and siblings and I was blessed because I was the youngest sibling. Any younger, youngest siblings in the room? You understand what I'm saying? You got away with things not everyone else got away with. You got um, a little bit more favor from mom and dad. My sisters are uh, nine and 11 years older than me. Any older siblings, oldest siblings in the room? Here's what's interesting about you, oldest siblings. There was a season of life where it was everything when you were an only child, like it was just you, you were the best child, and then your arch nemesis was born. <laughs> and it started the rivalry that would go on for the rest of eternity. And if you were like my sisters, the oldest sibling, uh, you probably tortured your siblings, and it started with small things, and then the rivalry increased. And my sisters, I love you, Stacy, Becky, I'm, I'm a better person because of the torture you put me through. You made me stronger, but there's always that one uh, trick that the older siblings play, and sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late, but um, it goes a little too far. Something breaks in the house, ambulance shows up, fire department, you gotta foreclose, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now my sisters, this happened when I was about seven, eight years old, and I went swimming, went to a swimming party with them and their friends, and, and I was kinda watching from afar, cause they were like, get away from us, like you're, you're not cool, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> But they were playing this game where there was a big raft in the pool and other people would sit on top of the raft and one strong individual would dive under the raft and swim under it as fast as they could to try to make it to the other side to get out and catch their breath. And it was cool, I guess. But as a seven or eight-year-old, I was just like, wow, they're so cool. They're old. Cool people do cool things. Old people do cool things. And then something crazy happened. They started going, Ethan. Ethan, Ethan. I was like, me? You guys never want me to play with you, me? And I walk over there and they're like, hey, we want you to do, we want you to swim under the raft. And I'm like, okay, gotta show off. Like there's older people around. And so I remember I dive under the raft and I swim as hard as I can. Like I've got to be at least 15 feet past the raft. And I go and I lunge up and the raft's still there. Because the game was to move the raft wherever Ethan went so that he could not get up from under the water. And they're giggling, and I'm like, <laughs> like barely breathing, gasping for air, and I'm still alive. Ha, <laughs> tricks on you. Just kidding. They didn't mean to kill me. I'm alive, praise God. But how many of you know that's the same trick that's being played on our world today? We may not be in a swimming pool, but we do have someone who's luring us into the deep waters of sin, convincing us that it will bring us joy and satisfaction, only leaving us trapped, gasping for air. There is a war happening on the next generation. It started at the beginning of time. Genesis chapter one, we know that God created the heavens and the earth, and it 
quickly went south. What happened? Sin entered into the world. And when the serpent was still in the Garden of Eden, God came down and he cursed the serpent. And it was a prophetic curse, really, to say, here's how the world is going to be the rest of time. He said, serpent, enemy, Satan, I will now put enmity between the woman's offspring, child, the next generation, and you. And one day, the next generation, the woman's offspring, children, will crush your head. And that was when Satan knew his war would be on the next generation. Because the, the word for offspring in Genesis is, is seed. It's, it's this small thing that has potential that one day when it's grown, what will it do? It will crush the enemy. So Satan knew if he could stop the seed, it would never happen. He would win. And so we see it in the Old Testament. What happened in Moses' time, the enemy put evil in the heart of Pharaoh to kill the children, to have them tossed in the Nile, trying to crush the seed. And it continued, even into the New Testament, the enemy, Satan, put evil into the heart of Herod, sent out a decree to kill all the children when Jesus was born. Why? To crush the seed. And I believe today the enemy's working harder than ever to kill the seed because he knows the potential. And I, I just think our family, our responsibility, the church isn't just a building you have a family, you have a blood family, but God says the church isn't this four walls, but it is the people of God, the family of God. And it's our responsibility to make sure the enemy doesn't win. There's a, uh, there's a desert in California and Nevada called Death Valley. It is uh, the hottest place on the face of the planet, up to 139 degrees. The soil is horrible, rocky, salty, really the worst conditions. Most scientists say it is the, the most lethal place in America, maybe even the world, so much so that the conditions are so poor that nothing can live there. I think we have a picture. You can see it is desolate. It is dead. There is hundreds of thousands of seeds in the ground, but nothing can live. And I remember seeing this picture and hearing about Death Valley and thinking, that's the enemy's goal. His goal is to make our world such a lethal place, to make the conditions so poor that although there may be seeds, they'll never come to life. We do have an enemy. His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and it doesn't take long to look around and see that the environment we're living in can be lethal. I don't know about you, but growing up, uh, I had to, I had to kind of look for sin. Nowadays, sin will come and find you. We carry it around in our pocket and it can get sent to us. It's coming. And the enemy knows if he can create an environment of death, a death valley in our world, the seed will never come to life. And there's a research group called Barna and they study the next generation. And the stats are alarming of the world our children, the next generation live in. And just so you do know, um, the next generation aren't millennials. So if you still have a beef with millennials, we need to work that out later. <laughs> the next generation is Generation Z. And Generation Z, if, if you look at the stats, I just wrote down a few. And I want to be honest, they're heavy. But if we don't understand, we'll forget that we're living in a war. This isn't just, oh man, the next generation, they need to grow up, they need to figure it out. Back in my day... No, there's an enemy who's trying to take them out. And we see it. The first, the first thing I thought was alarming is that the next generation spends an average of nine hours a day on a screen. 
more than they sleep, more than they eat, more than they go to school. And there's not that much positive content on the screen, especially for 60 plus hours a week. The next generation, this, is, this one breaks my heart, that the average age of someone being exposed to explicit images for the first time is 11 years old. Stealing their innocence, changing the environment, exposing them to death. 31% of the next generation are growing up in a single parent household, looking for affirmation, looking for leadership, but having none. Environment of death. 51% of the next generation say that happiness is their ultimate goal in life, and that happiness will only come from fame and fortune and money. Striving after the wind, looking for something they'll never grasp. Three out of five teenagers in the next generation have been abused verbally, physically, or sexually by another person, being exposed to the most lethal environments. And this one, I think worst of all, is that four out of five teenagers in the next generation would tell you that they have had a thought or put thought into action of harming their self or even ending their own life. Because the enemy is doing everything he can, a full frontal assault on our children. And God says, listen, it's our family. It's our responsibility. And we need to understand that because if we don't, I am afraid we will be just like what I believe to be the worst generation in the history of our world. It was a generation they talked about in Judges. It says that after they died, after this generation had been gathered to their ancestors, passed away, the next generation grew up neither knowing the Lord nor the wonderful things he'd done in the previous generation. And I want to say as LifePoint Church, we cannot let this happen. Matter of fact, I love this verse in Nehemiah. I just think this can be a declaration for our church. Nehemiah stands in front of the people, the people of God, and he says this, don't be afraid of the enemy. He is real. Don't be afraid. Instead, what can we do? Remember the Lord. He is great and awesome and fight for your families. It's our family, our responsibility. And so if, if the enemy has this plan to steal, kill, destroy, create an environment of death, what are we to do? If it's our family and it's our responsibility, how can we help? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. That's actually the message I wanted to preach today. It's in Psalm 92. There's, there's, a, there's a verse. I believe it's, it's the instruction manual for you and for me because it is our family and it, it is our responsibility. And this verse is the key to make sure that the enemy does not win. It starts off this way. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. After reading this verse, I realized I don't use the word flourish enough. It's just a good, it's just a good word. You also can't say it when you're mad, like flourish. Like you, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You got to smile. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Here's the key. Are you ready? Here's the answer. How? When they're planted in the house of the Lord. Do you see the picture? Our children, they are seeds. And where they are planted will determine what their life becomes. And God says, how can we, how can we make sure the enemy doesn't win if we can get them planted in the house of the Lord? They will flourish in the courts of their God. They will still bear fruit even in old age, declaring that the Lord is upright 
He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I believe. I believe we can see this happen in a generation. I believe we can see this happen in your family, in your children, in our cities, in our state, in our nation. God gave us the answer. And, and as I've been reading this verse, this is, this is why it's important to really read the Bible, because there's information behind the information. Like, it, it gives very specific instructions and, and outcomes. Get planted in the house of the Lord. Now, listen, I've only ever lived in an apartment, so I don't even plant anything. Like, I'm still trying to take care of myself, let alone little saplings and stuff like that. So I called my dad. And uh, because he's basically a botanist, like our backyard looks like the botanical gardens. He's not a botanist by trade. He's a botanist by hobby. And he gave me some information. So I thought it would be best to, to really kind of see what it looks like to get planted. And so my friends are going to bring some pots and seeds out on stage because if, if we just think, okay, be planted in the house of the Lord, that doesn't give us all the information. Because if you are a gardener, kudos to you, one, it's no joke, but you understand you understand it takes work. That's right. And if we're, just, if we're just going, hey, we need to get our, our, our students planted in the house of the Lord, our children planted in the house of the Lord, they'll be like, okay. Can't wait till they grow up. <laughs> Do you, boo-boo? How's it looking? Nothing's happening over here. Planting takes work. I called my dad because, like I said, I live in an apartment. He told me to buy gloves. You know it takes work if you have to buy gloves. So I bought a glove, just one. Starting out here, everybody. He said, it's a process. You have to, you got to dig up the soil, the right amount. Every seed's unique. Some seeds are deeper. Some seeds you have to put an inch, two inches, and then you put it down. Make sure it's covered covered well. Make sure it's packed down in there. You got, oh, you got to make sure it's in the right spot for the sunlight it needs. Some, some need more sunlight. Some need less sunlight. Don't forget the water. The soil ain't enough. You got you to water this thing. It, it's, a, it's a process. And although it's a process, it brings great results. Like that's why we do it, right? We, we, we plant a garden. We plant food for the results it brings. And God, God's not shy on the results we get when we make sure our children, the next generation, are planted in the house of the Lord. I want you to know this. God, God never gives an instruction without a blessing. The Ten Commandments, any instruction of God, they never, they never just say, hey, do this. No, he says, do this so that you get my results. And this scripture is no different. This scripture says, when your children, when the next generation are planted in the house of the Lord, it starts out, it says, they will flourish like a palm tree. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you know more about trees, but there's one thing I know about palm trees. I didn't need to Google this. I didn't need to, to research this. I didn't even need to ask my dad. I just remember every year during hurricane season, there's that one crazy news anchor. You're like, you don't get paid enough. They're in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the hurricane, they're like, it's crazy out here. It's raining sideways. There's cats going everywhere. But then there's palm trees behind them. Hey. Hey, mom. Like, just like, what's up, hurricane? 100 mile per hour winds. Cars are being thrown at the trees. 
everything is trying to take them out. And listen, they bend. If you watch, they bend, but they don't break. God wants you to know that if we can get our children planted in the house of the Lord, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at them, they may bend, but they will not break. And I need you to know, you need to know that the enemy is going to throw some things at your children. You cannot shelter them. You cannot protect them from everything the enemy wants to throw at them. He will throw images at them. He will throw lust at them. He will throw addiction. He will throw pride. He will throw greed. And where they are planted determines how they will respond. God says, all you have to do is get them planted in the house of the Lord. And no matter what the enemy tries to do, they can stay, stand firm. They will not break. And if that promise wasn't enough, like if, if, if that wasn't just, okay, God, we're out of here. We get the point. He's like, but wait, there's more. They will flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now this one required Google. Thank you, God, for Google. Best invention since sliced bread. Cedars, you probably know this. I didn't. Cedars are some of the biggest trees we have, up to 180 feet tall. But that's not the best part because God says it'll be like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedar of Lebanon was the one tree used in the Old Testament to build the temple of the Lord. I want you to see this. This is why the Bible is so amazing. He says that your children, the next generation, when we get them planted, they will be just like the trees that carried my presence. How, how can we make sure that the next generation is safe when they go to elementary school and middle school and high school and send them off to college? God says, if you plant them in my house, they're going to carry their presence, my presence with them. They are going to be safe no matter what the enemy brings against them. They're going to embody love, embody hope, embody joy, embody peace because I am with them and they're going to bring me with them so that others can see them. If we just get them planted, they'll be like the palm tree. They'll be like the cedar of Lebanon. They will bear fruit even in old age. I think this is interesting because as the student pastor, I get to talk with you a lot. I get to talk with you, other parents, and, and hear the hopes and the dreams you have for your children. That's why you're some of the best parents. That's why God gifted you with children because you believe great things for them. But this scripture wants us to understand that in order for them to become who God created them to be, in order for them to become the adult that you hope they will, to have the marriage you want them to have, to be the mother you want them to be, to be the business leader you want them to be, the fruit you want to see in their life is determined by where you plant them today. In other words, what happens in this stage of life, when they're a child, when they're young, will determine who they become when they're older. And God's saying, listen, listen, listen. The dreams you have for your children, I want them too. But we got to get them planted. Because the, the seed has potential. But the potential is dictated by the environment. Your son, your daughter, God has a great plan for them. But we will never see that plan come to life if we don't have them planted in the house of the Lord. And just for a visual, I, we, we have a real plant because I, I, I asked my dad, I said, would it grow? Like if I put it in the pot on stage, would it grow in time? 
by the end, end of the day, he's like, no. So I said, okay, I'm going to buy a plant. Because we all want this. We all want this in our life. You want your son, you want your daughter to become everything that God has created them to be. So how do we do it? How, how, how can we make sure this turns into this? I really think the first thing, and honestly, maybe the most important thing, is consistency. Consistency is key when it comes to getting planted. My dad, he spends more time watering the botanical gardens in our backyard than he probably does on anything else in his life. Because it takes time, it takes consistency, it takes the right nutrients to become what its potential is. And if we don't understand, if we just live a life of like, well, you know, huh, it's a sunny day outside. We're going to go, listen, we're going to go on the boat this week, but we're going to be back. We're going to be back. We're going to be back. Okay, we're going to, listen, we're going to take you to Kids Point. But, oh, hold on, basketball practice. Because we got to make sure you get a college scholarship and you become an NBA player because mama needs a new car. <laughs> okay, hold on. We'll just, yeah, mm, I don't, we're not seeing anything. Okay, well, I'm sure if we bring you back next week, it'll be fine. And every time we take the seed out of the environment, we stunt its growth. And you don't want that. You don't want that for your life. You don't want that for your child. You don't want that for you. It's, and we know this to be true. I remember the first time I was 15 years old and uh, my dad went out of town and he said, listen, son, I'm going to need you to water the plants every morning and every afternoon. I said, done. Easy, dad. Now get out of town. And uh, I walked outside and I realized it was the botanical gardens and that it would take three to 16 hours to water uh, the backyard. And so uh, I did something. I, I took the hose and I just, you know, I put my thumb over the hose, just made it rain in the backyard for three or four minutes. And uh, he came home from vacation, and the plants did not look the way he wanted them to. Sorry, Dad. But it's because it, it needs consistency. And maybe you're like, come on, like you're telling me if I just put them in Kids Point every week, then they're going to become that? Well, I need you to understand what Kids Point is. I need you to understand what we do as a church because there's nothing special about the room they're in. It's just four walls and a little bit of paint. If you think Kids Point is just a good movie and some veggie straw so that they don't cry and that you can come in and hear Pastor Daniel and hear the lights. No, no, no. Kids Point, they have gardeners in there. We call them the dream team. And they're going to make sure, they're going to make sure that the seed gets everything it needs. So we have dream team in there who are digging up the soil. They're, they're preparing the way. Listen, they're praying for your children before they even get there. Because it's not daycare. We believe God has a plan for their life. And so they're going to get in a small group and people are going to pray for them and they're going to speak life over them. And children are going to be able to talk about what God's doing in their life. Then they're going to get the sunlight. I love this. I go back in our Kids Point environment all the time. I think there's just so much joy. There's an innocence in children. And, and I see the leaders say, hey, come with me. And they, they, what are they doing? They're training the children to be who God created them to be. I was, in, I was back there last week, and I watched a leader um, bring a, a little boy who'd been there for a few services because their parents serve. And he said, hey, there's a, new, there's a new young man here, and I want you to make him feel welcome. And I watched this three-year-old walk up. He said, what's your name? He said, Maddox. 
He said, I'm Ian. Let's be friends. Because the leader said, God created you for this. They're putting the soil. Why do we... Why, why do we say, hey, high school, middle school, come to tribe, come to movement night? Because you need the conditions. Without the conditions, you'll never be who God created you to be. Without the tribe in your life, without a leader who's there. Well, that's why I love movement weekend so much. That's why we talk about it every single week. Because movement weekend is the one time a year where you can take the seed middle school, high school student, you can take them out of the valley of death the enemy's created for them. It's all around us, friends. And they can get in the presence of God. They can get in the house of the Lord. That's why we do it for more than one night. That's why it's the weekend because we need to make sure they get planted. And if we can silence the enemy and change the environment, we know, we know that life can take place. And that's my story. I was 16 years old, 16 years old when I, I lived the valley of death we talked about. I, I looked to everything for life. I looked to substance. I looked to images. I looked to relationships. I looked to money. I tried everything until I was 14, 15 years old. And I remember, I remember the night. I remember the night I put my head down on my pillow. And I just said, I don't want to wake up tomorrow because I was experiencing death. So is the next generation. So are some of you. Because the enemy, there's a war. And I'm so thankful I had one friend. One friend who, who said, hey, I love you. Come, come to this summer camp with me. Come to this student conference with me. I didn't, couldn't even spell conference. I don't know what he was talking about. Someone scholarshiped me. They didn't pay for me. That's why I'm thankful for the generosity of our church. We have scholarships available for anyone to come to Movement Weekend because I was scholarshiped. No one else knew I wanted to take my own life and someone paid for me to get planted in the house of the Lord. And I saw these other children, I saw these other students raise their hands and have joy and talk about God. And I was so confused because I would go home and not want to live but they were experiencing life. I'll never forget this. It, as clear as day, I can't explain it. I don't think it was the audible voice of God, but I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that God, God wanted me to share because I'd never told anyone. I'd never told anyone what was going on inside. And I, for, for two days, I said, absolutely not. They're not gonna love me anymore. They're gonna shun me. They're gonna send me home. I'll never forget opening up and, and telling my small group what I was experiencing, that I didn't want to live anymore. And they came around. They prayed for me. They prayed with me. They looped my family and they took care of me. Why? Because it's our family. It's our responsibility. And because when I was 16, I got planted, now I'm experiencing this. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for your children. If you're in high school or middle school here today, would you just give me one weekend? One, this upcoming weekend, movement weekend. What if, what if this is all true? Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you don't trust me, but I lived it. I've been where you've been. 
I've experienced what you've experienced and God has more for you. Maybe you know somebody who's not here today. Maybe you know somebody who's in high school or middle school and and God's saying, would you bring them in? We have such a generous church. We have scholarships available, but only you know who's not going to be there. Would you bring them? Because our consistency, getting them in the house, getting them planted in tribe, in a small group, in Kids Point, is the conditions that bring life. And I think the second thing that God wants all of us to understand is that in order, in order for this to take place, in order for the next generation to live, in order us to win against the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, it takes people. It takes a team. And for some of you, I don't even need to say it because God's already been nudging you. He's saying, join the team. Because you know what I, I learned about seeds? No one ever blames the seed when it doesn't grow. No one goes, what a bad seed. You've never drove past your neighbor's yard and said, they must have bought bad seed. What happened? They didn't take care of their lawn because the responsibility is never on the seed. It's on the gardener. And if it's our family and it's our responsibility, God's saying, would you be the solution? Would you be the gardener? Listen, you have a gift. For some of you, you're going to be the water. You're going to be the one who's able to speak life into children to pray for them by their name. For some of you, you're technical. You're going to be able to help with worship because we teach them worship. For some of you, you, you're going to be able to check them in. Every single one of us has a part. Every single one of us plays a part in gardening so that it becomes the tree that God intended it to be. If as a family, we can be consistent and as a family, we can join the team, I believe we're going to see miracles happen because God gave us the answer. Now we just need to be the solution. The same research company named Barna that gave us all the statistics about Generation Z also discovered that those coming to Christ today, this year, are between the ages, 75% of them are between the ages of 11 and 27. And of those coming to Christ, 80% of them are between the ages of 11 and 14. I personally believe it's because light shines brightest in the darkest of places. Because there's a lot of 11 and 14 year olds who are experiencing hopelessness. And when they hear about Jesus, they understand it's the answer. But when I heard that statistic, I I thought, how could we not put our best resources towards our biggest return? Like if I was a businessman and I knew that 80% of the sales were going to happen between 11 and 14 year olds, I would do everything to market towards them. I would do everything to reach them. This isn't a business. We aren't in the business of making money. We're here for souls. We're here for life. And for some of you, God's calling you today to be a part. There's a businessman who you work 50 or 60 hours a week on your business and God is saying, I gifted you for that, but I also gifted you to speak life into the next generation. And you'll never experience the fulfillment that I called you to until you take that next step. 
There's a mom who you stay at home with your children and you have 10 of them. And so when you drop them off on Sunday, you're really excited for a break. And God's saying, hey, there's a single mom who doesn't get to see her kids because she works all day and she needs your help. Would you join her and serve in Kids Point and serve in LifePoint students? Would you be the gardener? You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. I believe it takes a church that will never see what God wants to happen in our children's lives until we do what he's asked us to do. But we get to be the solution. And, and here's what's amazing about it. This isn't just a good idea. I didn't just work really hard on like, what, what, what would make people think this is true? No, we're, we experience this. Because of what God's doing at our church in every location, we are seeing this very thing happen in Kids Point, in Tribe, at Movement Night. We're going to see it this weekend at Movement Weekend. And as the student pastor, I get stories from all of our leaders. And, and I got a story recently that I thought, this is the perfect picture of how we can turn the enemy's plan upside down, of what the enemy's trying to do, create a valley of death. We can change it and create life. It's a story of a young lady named Shannon. Her tribe leader sent it to me, and she said, Shannon is a student at LifePoint who joined a tribe this year in 2019, but the first time she came was with a friend, and, and if I'm honest, they weren't very interested. It says that um, they were disengaged. Probably, uh, if, if I'm being honest, their, their parents probably brought them. Hey, mom and dad, it's okay to bring them if they don't want to come because there's a war on their life. It says that week after week they came and, and they'd ask for prayer requests and Shannon would just say, I'm good, I don't need prayer. And they'd say, okay, well, we're gonna pray for you anyways. And it says about week three or four, Shannon said, okay, all I'm gonna say is I need prayer for my relationships. That's it. They said, okay, we're gonna pray for your relationships, Shannon. And she was consistent. Mom and dad kept bringing her. About five or six weeks in, it says this, it says that, um, the next time we were having small group discussion, Shannon opened up about how she'd experienced hurt from people who she was close to, and she didn't understand why God would let it happen. But as leaders, we were able to come around her, pray with her, support her, and be there for her, and let her know that we were there for her every day of the week. And once she opened up, you truly, you truly could see the change in her. Why? Because she experienced freedom. Because she was in an environment of death. And that comes with baggage. But because of mom and dad, because of consistency, because she got in the right environment, for the first time ever, she was experiencing life. And I, lo I love this. She said, throughout the year, Shannon began to bring more friends than anyone else to try. Why? Because of what she experienced. She said, I, I, can't, I can't keep this hidden. Like The life I'm experiencing, the hope I'm experiencing, I want to share it with my friends. It says she brought more friends than anyone else to tribe. She became engaged in all the conversations and began to speak openly and even help lead the discussion about God and what he was doing in her life. It was amazing to see, I love this, the transformation from the beginning of tribe to the end of tribe. From being reserved and closed off to open and free. From being shy and full of death to being joyful and full of life. Today, Shannon is leading in the semester. 
She's opening up. She's inviting her friends. And I love this part. I think this is amazing. And she's serving in Kids Point to make sure that the next generation doesn't have to go through what she went through. Why? It's our family. It's our responsibility. And I just have a, I have a vision for our church. I have a vision for Virginia. I have a, vir- a vision for the whole East Coast that we would see what the enemy meant for a valley of death to be transformed into life. We would see students come alive. You know, the, the desert in Nevada and California called Death Valley, it is the most lethal place on the face of the planet, but once every decade, something happens. It's an anomaly, really. Scientists don't know how or they can't predict it. It's, it's what they call a super bloom, and it's when a millimeter more of rain happens than normal. It's when the degrees fall three or four degrees less than it normally does. In the valley of death, where nothing can survive, because of just a small change in the conditions, springs to life. It's called a super bloom. I think we have a picture And a scientist was quoted saying, although lifeless, the valley of death, given the right conditions, the seeds once dormant can spring to life. And I remember seeing that picture and I just broke down in tears. I said, that's what God wants to do. So I'm just here to say and declare over anyone, any student, any child, any person in the state of Virginia who feels like a valley of death, your super bloom is coming. Hope is here. I declare that anxiety is no more. Depression is gone. Addiction will fall. Hope is here. I lose love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. I declare that anything dormant is going to be brought to life, that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is available and will make a difference. It's our family. It's our responsibility. This weekend at Movement Weekend, the enemy will not win. Matter of fact, we are going to see life happen, transformation happen, because Jesus is alive. And if you're a mom or dad in the room who today's hard because you want this for your child, but they're not experiencing yet, I want you to know as a church, we'll do anything we can to help you. Our prayer team's available every single week, and we're here to pray with you. We're here to help you, and we believe in Jesus' name, just like me. Until I was 16 years old, I was so far away, but God, I believe 2019, this is the year of the Lord for you. It's the year of the Lord for your family. And maybe today you're in here and you're saying, this is, this is really cool. I'm excited for the next generation, but I feel like a valley of death. I feel lifeless. I feel hopeless. The promise isn't just for the next generation. The promise is for anyone who believes. And God is available, and he wants you to experience the same thing, the same life that he's offering to the next generation. He says, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You will experience life. You may feel like a valley of death right now. You may feel hopeless. You may feel like the conditions are lethal, but I want you to know something's changing in the environment. You're here today. I don't know where you came from. I don't know why, but God brought you here. The conditions are changing. 
And although sin has created a valley of death, the conditions changed when God sent Jesus from heaven to earth. The temperature changed. And he died and he went down into the valley of death. He took your sins with him. And he didn't stay there. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he rose from the grave three days later so that you could have life. The super bloom is here. Your life can change. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me all across the auditorium at every campus, if, if you're here today and you're experiencing that, you, you, your life has been a valley of death, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. I believe something powerful happens when you respond outwardly to what God is doing inwardly. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he died for you. Three, today's your day. If you just lift your hand, I see your hands. I see your hands. Life is coming your way. Life is coming your way. Life is coming your way. You can put your hands down. Church, we're gonna pray a prayer out loud together, confessing with our mouth. And we're gonna pray as a family because no one prays alone. Would you repeat after me? Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe that Jesus died for me so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you and follow you all the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Church, can you help me celebrate? Life is here. I love you guys.